I'm Christine Levine, and you're listening to Found Dead. I'm Lauren Petrie, and I worked for the city morgue in New York. Blood's just pouring out, decomposed, but his face was like melting off. And you could tell that she knew what was happening. Today's episode, The Bodies in the Morgue. Has anyone ever asked you if you want to see a dead body? Well, was it during a job interview? There's a $20 billion industry out there that deals with death. Sometimes you need dying to make a living. The stories we've heard on this show so far, they were all unpleasant surprises. But when you work in the dead body profession, you see more death than anyone could reasonably expect. And bodies just stream in like that candy conveyor belt in I Love Lucy. Now, how does anybody deal with that? Lauren Petrie is a stand-up comic, writer, podcaster, former drug addict, and an ex-autopsy assistant from New York. I sat down with Lauren over Skype to discuss her experiences working in the New York City morgue. And her story begins in 2020 during COVID. You didn't want to learn how to crochet or a new language? <laughs> Uh, no. no, I I didn't want to learn how to set, bake sourdough bread like mm-hmm. everybody else. No. Um, I was pushed into it because I didn't go to a fancy school. And, you know, I also made some bad choices. I had been escorting for a few weeks right before the COVID lockdown hit because I'd mm-hmm. been in a, a bad relationship and I was trapped in an apartment with bed bugs and I had to get out. So I escorted my way out of that. And then just, I'm, in a, I'm in a safe new place, you know, mm-hmm. and then suddenly the whole city goes into lockdown and it's like the apocalypse. And I may have overreacted and I bought like a bunch of camping equipment on eBay and I thought that like the system was going to break down and I had to go to Philadelphia and get a gun and I freaked out. None of that happened. <laughs> and as it turns out, I was forced to get some kind of essential job. Because everything I've done in my life, waitressing, bartending, any kind of brand ambassador work, everything was gone. I guess I could have webcammed, but I just didn't trust that to make enough because, you know, it's Brooklyn and it's expensive. So I I started just looking uh, at medical stuff because I'm looking around and I'm seeing the funeral homes are popping. There's like dead people in the streets with ambulances. And I'm like, well, they're, they're making money. They're busy. They seem really busy right now. They're probably hiring so I type, I go to the website, I, I type in like New York Health and Hospitals morgue work, and they have all these openings for morgue tech, and they say you just need a high school diploma. So I apply and I apply, and Kings County Hospital in Brooklyn hires me first. Mm-hmm. And I have the title of morgue tech, but my job is just taking dead people from the ICU and putting them in refrigerated trucks in the back of the hospital. And it was like, 300 extra bodies every day. Hospitals don't have a proper morgue. Most of them, they just have like a body hold and then they send it to either the city morgue or the funeral home picks them up. So they had nowhere to put all these fucking people. What was your previous dead body experience? Like, have you ever seen a dead person before this or you're just going in cold? When I was homeless on the street, I saw a guy that froze to death. He was sleeping under the same bridge I was. And that that was just kind of like, oh, well, that happened. And I didn't feel a lot. I didn't know him. So I, I think if I had known him, it would have been different. And I've been to funerals, you know, I had friends that were close to me OD, and I've, I've seen some open caskets. But I don't think that's beyond the pale of like a normal person's experience with death. No. And what you've gone through during COVID, you got to see what we were only watching on the news. 
Yes. And I had been previously involved in a conspiracy podcast and I quit that podcast during this because I'd be talking about all the bodies I was seeing and they were telling me that it's a lie and the numbers weren't real. And it was all, and I was like, I got fucking blood on my shoe today because I was carrying the body, you assholes. And then I just had to be done with that. Changed my viewpoint on a lot of things because you see that these systems are in place and it's just people. These doctors, everyone, they're just people. Nobody is like taking money from the, the, the people on the ground level or not fudging numbers and writing up fake reports. They're just trying to get through the day. Yeah, yeah, that was one of the big conspiracies was that the doctors are lying or the nurses are writing wrong <sighs> things on the charts. And no. that is, they are not thinking, realizing <laughs> that this kind of a conspiracy, for that to be true, it sounds like a great movie. But the truth of the matter is that it would be the world's largest conspiracy. Like, no, people can't keep a secret. Let me explain something. People trust an authority. People appeal to authority and they think, oh, I'm going to the hospital. That's where everyone's professional. Let me tell you something. The elevators to the ER don't work in the hospital. Okay. I saw nurses trading masks with each other for mangoes and they kept the masks in the ceiling boards. Like this was a thing. It was just like the Wild West. I saw so many, even the guys in the MRI were stashing masks up in the ceiling boards all the time. because they would blame them. They would run out of masks. I got given one N95 for the whole week, and I was told not to ask for another. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Oh, my God. Well, luckily, the people that you were mostly dealing with or spent the most time around were not breathers. When it got slower, they had me push living COVID patients around, though, even though that wasn't my job. So that that was the that was the hospital. It was a temporary job. It was a three month assignment, and then they it was just over. But because I had had that title of morgue tech, even though I didn't cut anyone open, I didn't do any real morgue shit. I just moved people. Mm-hmm. The office of the chief medical examiner hired me because they needed people bad. I was not prepared. It was if you've ever worked in a restaurant and you know what a busy bar rush is like, and you know that feeling of like you got to get shit done quickly and there's just so much coming at once, so much going on. It was like that in in the autopsy room for a few months. It was so it had restaurant vibes. So busy. It was like they didn't want you to take time to clean stuff or like between bodies. They were like get that body on the table, get that body off the table. I got yelled at for being too slow cuz I was cleaning too much. And there's cutting boards and knives and ladles and I used to be like all we need is a grill, you guys. Like this is such a restaurant. <laughs> you know. They they didn't really appreciate my humor. The doctors did. The doctors loved me. The techs were just like, who is this bitch? Like, shut up. Like, I'm just here for a paycheck. Like, whatever. Oh, no. It was, dude, I had so much interpersonal conflicts. My boss did not like me. There's a culture there. There's people that are generational morgue techs. Their mom was a morgue tech. Their dad was a morgue tech. And they feel like those jobs are for them. And, you know, then I show up and I'm all goth and super into it. And I'm like, whoa, look at this guy with his head crushed in. We're just like, shut the fuck up. You're you're too excited. Yeah, they didn't want you to be excited about it. Let's talk about the volume. Volume of bodies. It it wasn't COVID bodies because most of the time they don't need an autopsy because you know how they died. So it was mostly the collateral damage of COVID adjacent deaths, like many suicides, so many suicides and drug overdoses were like, That was the most popular way to die that year. (laughs) And every single drug OD, no matter what the drug was, all tested positive for fentanyl that year. Everything had fentanyl. From from Vicodin to heroin to cocaine to everything was fentanyl. We had these cool test strips that would show you everything. And it was every time. 
I'll start with like some of the most memorable bodies like when I first started you know and I had never seen really the insides of bodies like this except on like gore sites on the internet so my first autopsy that I shadowed was a shooting and a stabbing and I was really the thing that stuck with me was that dead bodies bleed a lot like the stab wounds and on the back like the blood's just pouring out like it's a hole and it's just crazy it's just so much blood and mm -hmm. I was just like, whoa, you know, that's what that's, it makes sense. Like, where do you expect all the blood to evaporate? We're meat sacks, you know, <laughs> full of organs and meat. And um, just how easy it is to cut into a body. So my, my first Y incision, I'm, I've got my scalpel, I'm with the doctor, and he's like, no, just go for it. You know, <laughs> like, you can't fuck up that bad. And I make the Y from the collarbone to the middle of the chest, and, and I, I'm carving down the body, and I'm like, this is like butter. It's just so easy. It just opens right up. I couldn't believe it. And then you, you just reflect the flesh and you get the rib cage. And they use garden shears like from Home Depot to crack the ribs open. It really should be harder to get into a body. It's You're not. Right. It's so easy. And then it all, the, be more difficult. Mm -hmm. all the organs just come out like you're cutting fruit. It's just like taking, you're like, you cup the liver, cup the heart, you know, you open up the heart sac, the pericardial sac, and then you gently like get the heart valves cut open and you just take all the fruit out it's just like like harvesting i think that's what they call it then when covid got better there were more homicides and that was very exciting because that was a sign that the city was coming back you know <laughs> it's like, i would never think of that that's incredible we started getting homicides and we were like dude like new york is back like people are leaving their houses to kill each other like this is great. Were you guys like high-fiving? Like another I, another gunshot coming in hot, folks. <laughs> there was one one yeah. really cool one cool doctor that I did have this exchange with. And I was like, do you think he was like planning to kill this guy? And he's like, I gotta wait until Fauci tells me it's okay to like leave. <laughs> that that doctor was the shit. We found a crack pipe in a guy's ass and he just looked over and he was like, Oh, that just means two more weeks of winter. It's all good. <laughs> like, <laughs> I gotta appreciate that. That's great. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. What happens when musicians and audio engineers channel their creativity into a coffee company? You get Decibel Coffee Works. For owners Nick Hainig, Dana Fair, and Ian Hodges, the music and art communities provide them with daily inspiration. At Decibel Coffee Works, they share that inspiration in liquid form, bringing you their best coffee and favorite artists. Decibel Coffee Works purchases their ingredients from sustainable sources, providing a truly exceptional product while contributing to the longevity of the coffee industry. Whether you're shipping their excellent coffee straight into your drip machine at home or sipping a fresh cappuccino inside their cafe in Tucson, Arizona, we know you'll love what you get. You can go to decibelcoffeeworks.com today to learn more. And if you pop by the cafe, let them know that Found Dead sent you. And now back to the show. I didn't pick this body up. But I was there for the for the autopsy. So somebody, man, quarantine really got to them because uh, he was masturbating alone in his room and they had two uh, shirts full of amyl nitrate wrapped around his head. But he was it was a long time before he was found, unfortunately, and he had roommates. So I'm like, not the best roommates in the world. <laughs> Nothing says I never liked you. <laughs> like right dying like that and nobody checks on you right he must have, have you heard died. from greg no nah. nah. he smells, smells bad fuck that guy i don't yeah. know 
he's doing that thing he does in his room again. Yeah, he's so weird. Anyway, well, let's leave him alone until it smells. <laughs> That's like exactly what happened. And he had one giant dildo up his ass, one giant dildo down his throat. So the body comes in and it is decomp, baby. Decompose. Hashtag decomp. Oh. Bad. Like beyond the marbling stage when it when it kind of changes from like green to brown with little like red veins and stuff. So kind we're talking over two weeks. Something like that and brown drip. Not mummified, though, because obviously there was air conditioning on inside. You get different types of bodies depending on the temperature. You know, you get it makes a new it's it's like some kind of art project, depending on the variables. You know, really dry climates, you get mummification and then like air conditioning in a a sealed apartment. You're going to get like a lot of grease. Like there's no, it does. It's not decomposing with the elements naturally. Yeah. And um, but side note, that happened a lot during COVID. And there was one guy I remember in particular. He had screws in his teeth, so his teeth were like perfect, but his face was like melting off. Yeah. So it looked like a Halloween mask, just smiling like evilly. Oh God. Right. I couldn't stop laughing at that. (laughs) I had to take the the dildos out for the doctor, and I pulled a dildo out of the ass and. Like a pound of maggots fell out. I'm talking like nightmarish horror. It's like, like a horror movie, and they're all over the floor. And I'm trying to like the doctor's laughing, and I'm yeah. trying to sweep them up. I'm stepping on them. They're like crunchy. We get powdered bleach and we pour it on them, and we kind of like mitigated the maggots. And then I I go for the the dildo in his mouth, and like another like ton of maggots just crawl out like a horror film, and. I can't stop laughing at this point because it's just so over the top. Yeah. And then the, the doctor tells me, so you see that there's teeth marks on the dildo that was down his throat. And he says, I need you to reinsert the dildo to match it up with his teeth so that we can see exactly where the airwave was cut off. And also yeah. to show that the cause of death is autoerotic asphyxiation. So I had to like fuck this guy's mouth with the dildo like in and out a few times. And I'm just looking around like, this is a weird Tuesday. I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life. Did you have nightmares, Lauren? Did you? Tell me the truth. I had one nightmare. Mm -hmm. And it was, I woke up in the middle of the night and I could smell the decomposing body in my apartment. And then I really woke up. Oh my God. You never get rid of that smell, do you? Yeah, I can tell you if there's a dead mouse in your wall now. You smell it forever. That's exactly right. I did have a dead mouse in my wall and I could not get away from it. I mean, and nobody else could really smell it. But like they, they'd have to go, oh, 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 yeah, I guess I do smell something kind of. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. That's a fucking dead animal. You know. You know. Yeah. You never yeah. forget it. Cops know it. I mean, the, you know, I'll tell you what, Christine, there were some things that really bothered me. Uh, there was a, a death of a child that it was a suicide that a mom committed with the kid. Oh, God. And I did the autopsy on the, the kid. So that that sucked. It didn't like bother me to the point where I was like crying at work or anything. Like I just did the autopsy, you know, but like that I was f- hard. Yeah. I, I feel like, do you have ADHD? I'm just asking sidebar. Oh, do you have ADHD? And, I think and so. And OCD. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. So the thing is, is that when we are in a higher pressure situation, we just go into like autopilot and we know that we've got a mission or we feel like we're doing this for a higher purpose or yes. these people are gone and yeah we need we need humor to lighten it because if you don't laugh you will cry you would you would have 
mm-hmm. there has to be an outpouring of some kind of emotion. So what you did by making jokes or whatever is lending itself so that you can do the autopsy so that their family can get answers if that's what they need. Yeah. That's absolutely necessary in this job. And I don't think that anybody should, I don't know if anybody has given you shit for it, but they shouldn't have, even in the job, they shouldn't have given you shit for it because that's absolutely, I think, necessary for what you were doing. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, that that was probably the hardest one. The other thing that really got to me was there was a really bad domestic abuse murder a, a girl got stabbed to death and the cops came in and showed us their body cam footage of finding her. And like, she was still alive and she was like, you know, gasping for air and trying to talk to them and carrying her out. And you could tell that she knew what was happening. You know, she was aware. Mm-hmm. And that was, I was just like, Oh fuck. And that's about the time that the city kind of came back and I started having other employment options. And yeah. that was the one that pushed me over. And I was like, okay, I'm out of here. This is not my career. I've seen so many dead bodies that now when I look at people, I know what they look like when they're dead. <gasps> yes. I got married during this time. So many times I'll just look at my husband while he's sleeping and just like imagine him dead just so I can like get ready for it. I yeah. understand. Yeah. When he's sleeping, all you do is you think like, okay, if your eyes were open just a little bit, or sometimes when their eyes are open just a little bit and their jaws a little slack mm-hmm. and they, you know what I mean? And you can just tell. Or, or there will be somebody who's just a little too, their face is a little off or something. And you go, you're going to die. Something's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Like we can see it in people, I think now. Cat, cats can sense it, you know, animals sense it. You know, that's how I knew I had cancer because my dog would not leave me alone. She oh, wow. is a needy dog anyway, but I was telling my son, I, I was telling Josh, like, I think, do I have cancer? What's going on? She won't leave me alone. She keeps staying with me or whatever. Yeah. I mean, she, she knew something was up with me for sure. That's incredible. Yeah. Th- those are the senses that we've all dulled. I don't have senses like that at all. I think it, in a way, the experience kind of fucked me up to where I think I'm just more clinical about stuff. Like I, it made me way more of an atheist than I ever was before. I used to go sit in the freezers with the bodies and like hope that something would come and I would have some kind of paranormal experience. I used to like go just by myself in the morgue and walk around and just say like, okay, come, come ghost, do make it happen. And like nothing ever happened. I, I am so disappointed. You know, I know. I love that too. I love magical thinking and I want it all to be real. I want Santa Claus to be real. I mm-hmm. want the tooth fairy, all of it, seeing people die like just in my experience, I agree with you. It has totally made me go, No, there's nothing. We're just sacks of meat. And and if somehow we have this tapioca brain in our skull that has electricity running through it somehow. And I used to hold people's brains and just think like, wow, this is somebody, everything they've ever thought, all of their memories, it's a computer. It's a biological computer that we don't understand how it works. And I'm about to let a doctor cut it open. Like, this is so weird. When I would grab, go into people's skulls, I would think, wow, no one's hands have ever been in here before except mine. Like, this is so cool. Yeah. And their whole, their personality. You're right. It's every, just in, every memory. It's just in this, this weird ball of fat. You know, it's, in, it's incredible. There's like wiring under it. And it looks like audio visual equipment when you cut the, the brainstem. It's like, mm-hmm. it's got, it's got wires, man, to the eyes, you know, it's amazing. And it does, but it, it doesn't make me believe in a creator, whatever it is, we don't know. I mean, it really did make me believe that everything just goes black, 
that consciousness is a byproduct of evolution or something. Like it's so bizarre to be alive and conscious. It blows my mind. So are you more or less afraid of death after these experiences? Uh, more. It made me very cognizant that life is short. I'm turning 40 next April. And I think I only get maybe 40 more seasons if I'm lucky. That's all we get. I get 40 more and then I don't get a choice and it's fucking over. If I don't get hit by a bus or something, you don't get a choice how much consciousness you get. It's insane to me. There And there were so many young people I saw that died and it made me reassess my drug past and think, why not me, man? Like there was a girl that died doing a drug I used to do all the time. And I was like, that used to be me on a weekday. Like, why is she, why'd she die from it? You know, mm-hmm. or kids like just at parties that fell off a building or something like that. And I'd be like, putting their skull like the pieces of his skull taking it out when I would when I saw the head open and I'm just like that so could have been me it's just so random and chaotic and short it definitely I used to not think about death and just be like whatever man like probably reincarnation who cares live your life and now I'm like yeah but I I only get this finite amount of it yeah and it's made me work harder at comedy and podcasting and all the stuff I do because I'm like it's not just a midlife crisis, I swear to God. It's it's like, I'm yeah. going to be 40 and I'm, I'm like almost at the middle of this thing. Yeah, no, I totally understand. That's what uh, getting cancer kind of did for me too, is it made me go, uh-oh. I hear the yeah. clock ticking and it's just like, bong, bong. It's not not the quiet tick, tick, tick. It was in my 20s and 30s, but right? I'm 52 now and I got cancer and I was like, holy shit. It could all I, be over. And I wanted to leave something for my children. Well, I mean, I think you have a legacy, but you know, I'm, I know you and, you know, I show everyone your stand up on YouTube and stuff, but you know, Oh, you're sweet. But no, like I think, yeah, your legacy, you should be more well-known for sure. So you gotta, you. you gotta go get that, you know? That's what this is all about, baby. We'll be right back. Hi, Christine here. I just wanted to come in and say that if you have been enjoying our show, we'd love it if you would go to your podcast app of choice and leave us a five-star review and share our episodes on social media. It'll help new people find our show so that we can keep bringing you great stories of finding dead bodies. It's just the way everyone wants to start their Friday morning. And now back to the show. There was a there was a younger girl like in her 20s and she died uh, snorting drugs. Right. But um, she like her body froze in the position of snorting drugs. Right. So like she was like hunched over, like with her nose down to where you could imagine that you could see where the surface was that she'd been snorting on. And um, she didn't really have like a septum left and her teeth were all messed up. Oh, yeah. But, but she was gorgeous. And oh, she'd had some plastic surgery we were looking at and you know there was this point where all just kind of like like there was a doctor I worked with who had had a lot of work done who was very fun and she came over and we were just like assessing how good or bad her work was (laughs) I mean it's just makes you reassess things I I always trim my pubes now always because I don't want to end up on a table with a hairy bush oh that's that's just my thing now. I just don't. I saw a lot because it's like people don't know That's they're like gonna the die. Best advice: Trim your pubes so that you don't have techs and doctors just going hmm quietly to themselves. You think that everybody is gonna treat you with so much dignity when you're a body? 
when you're just a meat sack on the table that's stopped making it pumping air. And we kind of have this idea that everybody's going to be polite and, oh, yes, there's a body. Oh, my Mm. goodness. We can't. Blah, blah, blah. Not after the 15th one that day and you need to get to lunch. You got to get that body sewed up so you can fucking go eat and, like, have a break. It's a nonstop sometimes, you know, and it just becomes another job. You get so desensitized. You're just like, oh, another overdose. Huh. Tell me something new. Like. You have a job, it's an important job, and you've got to fucking do it. Right. And I just want to be clear that some of the stories I've told you, I, I mixed up details of, mm-hmm. of things, to, to, and I didn't, I wasn't telling specifics about uh, the dead people, because uh, I could, they could, they could maybe get me in trouble if I was too specific about different cases. So I just I have to, that. yeah, I just have to preface that, that like, you know, when I say a suicide, I didn't tell you like how and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I appreciate that, honey. Thank you so much. Yeah. Where can we find you, Lauren? Yeah, I'm all over all the social medias at the Lauren with a Y Petrie. And my podcast is called Alien Murder Sex. And it's at Alien Murder Sex on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter. It's at murder underscore alien on Twitter. But Alien Murder Sex, we do true crime, paranormal, and then we review porn. It's pretty Oh my fun. God, it sounds fantastic. <laughs> We'd love to have you on, Christine. We'd love to have you. Done deal. Anytime, yeah. babe. Yeah. Let's I mean, do it. Thank you so much, Lauren. Oh, dude, thank you so much. Yeah, of course. People are really shitty about a gallow sense of humor. When you've never had to deal with death, you can have some pretty privileged ideas about how people handle trauma. Now, I've known Lauren for about 15 years. And I can tell you that she's one of the warmest, most tender people that I know. She's got a genuine love for humanity. And when you've got a big heart and you feel so much, you've just got to shut it down sometimes and go on with your day. Like she said, you got to go to lunch. But even then, sometimes it still sticks with you. So Lauren got pretty comfortable around her dead bodies. It was a job. You know, bodies came in and bodies went out. It was reliable and predictable, but that's not how it usually is. Usually, it's a shock, even when you're with someone who is trained for it. And we'll hear that story next time on The Bodies in the Mansion. We're walking towards like a patio and I smell something. Found Dead is a Levine Entertainment production. This show is produced and edited by Nora Williams. Our logo is by Nora Williams based on a design by Chris Levine. Our theme music is Autumn Sunset by Jason Shaw. The interview you heard today was edited for length and clarity. If you found someone dead and would like to tell your story, reach out to us through email at founddeadpod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at founddeadpod. I just look at people more clinically like, oh, I could see you on the table.